uh, I just want to welcome you. My name is Keith Dollar. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, here at City Church, we are about knowing Jesus, loving people, and impacting your world. And so at the beginning of this year, I just thought it would be fitting for us to do a short series on knowing God. Last week, we talked about knowing Jesus and abiding in him from John chapter 15. And this week, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and look at the life of Abraham, somebody who knew God and somebody who trusted God with his future. Okay? And so what we see in the scripture, and, 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 and I know that many of you are, have started um, one-year Bible plans. You've started reading through Genesis. Um, and so, as I have as well, uh, started re-going re through the, the, the Old Testament and, and studying the life of uh, Abraham, who is known as the father of faith. Three major religions uh, point to and identify with Abraham as their leader, as a um, key figure in that religion. The Muslims the Jews, and Christianity all identify with Abraham, all right? And so he is a key figure in the scripture. What my hope is for us today is that we would be drawn into the great narrative of scripture, the great redemptive story of God that, is, that unfolds in the book of Genesis, okay? And, and hopefully that we'll, we'll be drawn into the story and we will find our place in God's big story and respond appropriately to fulfill our part in this day and time. Amen? And so what we see in the first chapters of Genesis is we see that God created everything good. And mankind was made in His image, was blessed by God and God commissioned mankind to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We talked about fruitfulness last week in John chapter 15. As Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Fruitfulness is a word that I'm camping out on this year, that I'm aiming for, that I'm praying that I would, that I would, that it would my life would be marked by fruitfulness and that our church would be marked by fruitfulness because God has destined us for fruitfulness, each of us. He's designed us and he's destined us to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. But what we see in, in Genesis chapter 3 is we see that mankind failed to live up to God's design. Mankind rebelled, failed to be responsible and obedient to God, disobeyed God, and corruption came into this world. And we see the result was shame and fear. Adam and Eve were hiding from God, and there was a severed relationship with God that they were designed to live in communion with God. And they experienced this death and this separation of that sin brings and we see their children we see one of their sons Cain kill Abel we see family problems we see the world just grow darker and darker so much so that by by Genesis chapter 6 God feels grieved that he even created mankind because they've so corrupted and twisted his his good creation 
that God decided that he was going to destroy the entire world. But he had a plan through Noah and his family to save them and restart. And he told them after the flood, after 40 days of of rain and flood and, and the world being destroyed with water, global destruction, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Again, there's this call to be fruitful and multiply. And then we see, we see things, uh, uh, again, in, in Genesis chapter 11, we see mankind trying to make a name for themselves and build a tower, the Tower of Babel, build a tower to heavens, to the heavens, which represents, which, which points to re- religion, world religion that seeks to, to make a name for itself and, and, and achieve uh, some kind of salvation or reach up into heavens and, and God scattered the people and, and, and instead of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it, they were gathered together trying to make a name for themselves. And so with that backdrop, we see God show up in the life of this man named Abram. We see God choosing this man and calling him into a covenant relationship With himself. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn near to Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, and the Lord, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarai, took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morath. And at the time the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country onto the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God is faithful to his promises, and he is worthy of our trust. Abram is an example of a life that was convinced of God's faithfulness and his ability to do what he promised. What we see through the life of Abraham is we see God's faithfulness and God's ability. We see God as the great hero of this story. But also what we see is we see an example of faith and patience. We see an example of somebody who walked in relationship, covenant relationship 
with God and trusted God with their future. Now, I know many of us here are having to trust God with our lives and with our future in various different ways right now. And my hope this morning is that this example of Abraham would would strengthen our confidence in God's faithfulness to bring about his good plans for our lives. Amen? Now, first of all, let me just highlight that Abraham is a model of faith for missional living, for missionaries, for Christians living on mission. Notice, and and, and missiologists point to this passage. They go back to this passage and highlight God's big plan to bless the world, right? To bless the world through Abraham's seed, which we'll get get to explain what that that means uh, later on here. Um, But first of all, let's just highlight this, that, that God showed up to him. And by the way, this was a gracious act of God, okay? For God to reveal himself to any of us is a gracious act from God. God chose to show up in Abraham's life. Abraham didn't earn it or deserve it, all right? He came out of a pagan background, all right? And and God showed up in his life, and he said to him, Go from the country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, all right? This is a model for missional living. This is, this is what God calls many of his people to do. To leave their comfort zone, to live life on mission for him. And it takes great risk and it takes great trust in God to fulfill his plans, to show up, to guide, and to provide. And note in, in, God, in Matthew's gospel that Matthew wants his, his readers, his readers, to see that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, all right? And through whom God's blessing will reach the nations through the mission of his followers, making disciples of all nations, right? Jesus came on to the scene years later, born as a descendant of Abraham, as a Jew, all right? And it's through him, as we'll see later on, it's through Jesus that ultimately the promise of God is fulfilled that he made to Abraham. Okay? And so God shows up and God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. There is much blessing that comes from knowing God. We're made for this. All right? And from the beginning, God created mankind uh, for relationship with him and blessed mankind and told him to be fruitful and multiply. The Hebrew word to bless means barak. Okay? And it's translated as blessings, to give praise, to give thanks, to extol, to be blessed, to be praised, to bless oneself. To, uh, this can mean to speak words invoking divine favor, to bless, or to speak of excellence of someone. Tom Constable says that the three nuances of blessing include prosperity, potency, and fertility, and victory. All right? Now, let me just say this, because I said the P word, prosperity, and, and those of us who are strongly against the prosperity gospel know that prosperity preachers will take passages like this and overemphasize material blessings 
right? As if that's the norm for all Christians, that all Christians should be healthy and wealthy, all right? All right? And so, now we, we can't deny that God did bless Abraham physically. He, he was wealthy. He was blessed in that sense. But we can't, we can't reduce the blessing of God down merely to material blessings. Okay, especially when we look at the life of Jesus who was blessed, but he chose a life of poverty. All right? And so we, we don't want to, we don't want to swing, we don't want to overemphasize one and, and get off balance the other way. Just like, like folks who've been brought up in a, in a, in a, in a um, hyper grace um, atmosphere in church have a tendency to swing way, way over to, to maybe a, a, a stronger, stricter, more legalistic view of God in the Bible. Or those who are brought up in a legalistic <coughs> church tend to swing way more over to and overcorrect and, and be more focused on grace and mercy and love, right? And God calls us to have a, a, biblically, a biblical view, a balanced biblical view. Christopher Wright speaks about this, and he says that blessing is not just an automatic reflex routinely doled out in response to certain prescribed inputs, prayers, or faith, or money, Blessing is not like a great heavenly cash box of miracles stored up for you, just waiting to be claimed. This is in his book, The, the Mission of God's People. And he quotes also, um, he quotes the Lazane Theology Working Group here. And he says, he quotes them and, and, he, and he highlights, and I, I think this is a helpful statement. We affirm that there is a biblical vision of human prospering and that the Bible includes material Welfare, both health and wealth, within its teaching about the blessing of God. This needs further study and explanation across the whole Bible in both Testaments. And we must not dichotomize the material and the spiritual in unbiblical dualism. However, we reject the unbiblical notion that spiritual welfare can be measured in terms of material welfare. Or that wealth is always a sign of God's blessing, since it can be obtained by oppression, deceit, or corruption. Or that poverty, illness, or early death is always a sign of, of a curse or lack of faith or human curses, since the Bible explicitly denies that it is always so. And so I just want to bring some balance here and don't want us to get off one way or another. But I do want to point us to treasure God as the fount of every blessing, as uh, from him comes every good and perfect gift. But we don't worship the gifts. We worship the giver. Amen. All right. And that's what we see in the life of Abraham and his responses to God showing up in his life and meeting him right where he's at. Abraham builds an altar and he worships God. We see this repeated. He sets an example of true worshipers of God. And so what we see in this promise to Abraham is we see a, a national blessing. He says, I will make of you a great nation. We see an international, we see a personal blessing. I will bless you and make your name great. Okay. And notice by, by the way, the contrast of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. 
there was a curse introduced into the world and upon humanity because of rebellion against God. And in, in Genesis chapter 11, they were seeking to make a name for themselves. And what we see here is we see God, in a sense, reversing the curse and saying, Hey, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. All right? You don't have to do what those other folks were doing in, 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 in Babel, trying to uh, uh, make, their, their, make a name for themselves. And then he, go, and, and he goes on. There's also an international blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay? Looking forward to get, getting into that here in just a moment and explaining a little bit more about that. But first, let me just read a, a, a theologian here that speaks about blessing and salvation here. Blessing is the way that God enables his creation to be fertile and fruitful, to grow and to flourish. It is the most comprehensive sense of God's purpose for his creation. Whenever human life enjoys the good things of creation and produces the good fruits of human activity, God is pouring out his blessing. Wherever people bless God for his blessings, to that extent, God is known as the creator who provides for human flourishing. God's blessing is universal, but it is not the case that the blessing is God's goodness in creation as, as distinct from his goodness in salvation as sometimes has been proposed. Salvation, too, is God's blessing, since salvation is the fulfillment of God's good purposes for creation, purposes already expressed in creation. But salvation is the fulfillment of God's purposes in spite of the damage evil does to God's creation. The Abrahamic blessing is more than blessing of the creation, but it is designed to contend with and overcome its opposite. God's curse. The ultimate goal of God's promise to Abraham is that the blessing will prevail over the curse. It does, not, it does so when the seed of Abraham, the singled out descendant of Abraham, the Messiah, becomes a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. It is in this light that Paul can call the promise to Abraham that the nations will be blessed, the gospel. The gospel is that in Christ Jesus, the curse has been set aside and God's creative purpose for blessing of his creation is established beyond any possibility of reversal. This is Richard Bacon and his book, The Bible in Mission. And so what we see here also is that God calls Abraham not only to be a recipient of his blessing and of his grace, but to be a conduit of it. Not to be just a cul-de-sac, okay? Not to be like the Dead Sea that has inflow of life going into it, but no outflow, but to be like a conduit of the blessing. He says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
Let us never lose sight of this vision that God has for us. Not only to be recipients of his blessing, which we are. And we are in Christ in very big, rich, profound ways. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Right? We are recipients of his grace, of his blessing, of his favor. We didn't earn it. He chose us even before the world began. All right? But we're called also to be conduits of his blessing to others, to share that good news, to pass on the love, to pass on the grace, to lead others to him and his ways. Israel was called to be a a light to the Gentiles, the prophet Isaiah said. But in many ways, Israel failed to be that effective light as they ought to be. And and let's look at Genesis chapter 15. We'll see another thing about Abraham. And there's so much here. As I was preparing this, I was thinking this, sh- this should probably be like two or maybe three messages. So I'm sorry. I tend to try to cram a bunch in. But I want to I get us saturated and, and caught into the story of God. And I want us to find our place in his great story today. Amen. And so let's, let's look at uh, chapter 15. As Abraham is walking with the Lord again, God graciously shows up. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old. Sorry, that's a song our kids sing. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. That's what he said. And he brought him all these cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of the prey came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. And so, here's what I want to point out in these verses, simply that Abraham believed God. And he was old at this time, okay? Like God first showed up and spoke to him at 75 years old, all right? And his his wife, Sarai, is not too far behind him. And they don't have kids, And that's obviously a desire and a dream and probably a very painful one, a very painful subject to bring up to them. And many, many I know and some here know the pain of being barren and not being able to have children. All right. And God shows up and he makes a promise for this old couple. And it just seems like seems ridiculous. Like, it's funny. It's a funny story. But it points to the supernatural power of God, the ability of God 
and the faithfulness of God to come through on what he says. In the midst of this narrative, the question is asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? When we read the story of Abraham and we see God do what he does through his life, we should be able to answer that question, no, nothing's too hard for the Lord. God made a promise. He's going to come through on it. And Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He leaned on God. And, and his, his faith, he grew in his faith. Okay? Like we don't see him perfectly. We don't see him flawlessly making flaw, living a flawless life. We do see some failure. And I'll highlight that here shortly. But overall, he's characterized by a life of faith. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He trusted God with his life, with his future. Are you trusting God with your life, with your future? Abraham was also called a friend of God. <clears throat> Abraham knew God in, in an intimate way, so much that the, the scriptures refer to him as a friend of God. Okay? James 2.23, Isaiah 41.8, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. This is what we're designed for, to know God in an intimate way, to really know Him, to have friendship with the living God. And Abraham had the privilege of some insider knowledge. He, he, got to, he got to hear from God what was going on before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, how can I do this thing and not reveal it to my servant Abraham? Like he, because they're friends, right? They're friends. And so God's sharing his plans with his friend Abraham. And Abraham, Abraham jumps in and he starts to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. They were, it was a wicked city, okay? Mark characterized by sexual immorality, inhospitality, homosexuality, right? Uh, an, an, uh, indulgence, neglect of, uh, of late uh, indulgence, gluttony, uh, as, as the prophet Ezekiel says. And, and God says, I'm going to destroy this place. And Abraham starts praying and he appeals to the righteousness and the justice of God. And, and he says, God, Far be it from you to do that, to destroy the righteous and the wicked together. Like, if there's 50, like, please don't, don't destroy the city. And God says, okay, I won't. If there's 50, okay? How about 45, Lord? Okay, I, I, won't, I won't destroy them. And Abraham's interceding and talking with God as his friend in intercession. And he gets down to 10, and God says, okay, I won't destroy it. If there are 10 righteous people in this city, I'm not going to rain down fire and brimstone on it. But there weren't 10. There was, there was Lot and his family, and, and thankfully, Lot and his two daughters and his wife were being delivered out. His wife looks back. Y'all know the story, right? She looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. Okay, but God delivered Lot and his daughters out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we see this friendship with God that Abraham had. He interceded 
for others. We see that his life was marked by a reverence for God. When God asked him, when God finally did come through on his promise and give him a son through his wife, Sarah, all right, when, when he finally did that, God asked him to offer up his son as a sacrifice. And he did. He feared God and he obeyed God. And God called him his friend. And this is our portion as well, saints, that we would know God in a personal, intimate way. Right? The, the, Bible, the Bible is written to give us revelation of God so that you and I might know him. That we might know his characters. His character, that we might know his ways, that we might know his will and his plan for our life. It is divine revelation. Those who are friends of God trust him. Those who are friends of God have reverence for him, fear him. Those who are friends of God obey him. Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, no greater love has a man than this, that he, that he lay his life down for his friends. That's what Jesus did. And he said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? And so we see this, this obedience, this faith, this reverence, this, this real relationship with God that Abraham had and that God wants each of us to have as well. God also wants us to invite others into having a relationship with him. Notice what God says in Genesis chapter 18. The Lord said, uh, verse 17, The Lord said, shall, shall, um, shall I hide this from Abraham, what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him. Okay? Again, that's grace. That's grace that God chose him. He didn't earn it. That, that, he may, that, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised. Right? I love this idea of knowing God and making him known. It's the, uh, the vision statement for Youth with a Mission. And ever since I've heard that phrase, it has resonated with me that this is what I'm here for. To know God and to make Him known. And here we see in Genesis chapter 8 that this should be happening through parents. Through parents as we are making disciples that parents should be teaching their children the way of the Lord. Showing them God's ways through example and teaching them, instructing them with words. Okay? Now, if you're childless, you are not limited to making disciples and making God known to others. Jesus didn't have a, a wife or a family, right? But he made disciples, and he commissioned his followers to make disciples, to make God known, to make his ways known. John Calvin comments on this and he says that the scope of God's promise in telling Abraham his plans must carefully be noted. His will, as made known to Abraham, bound as Abraham's descendants, certainly does not make his will known to us so that knowledge of him should die with us. 
He requires us to be his witnesses to the next generation so that they may in turn on what that they may in turn on what they have received from us to their descendants. In this way, we must propagate God's truth. It was not given for our private enjoyment. We must mutually strengthen one another according to our calling and our faith. So Abraham knew God and he was called to make him known. He was he was blessed by God and he was called to be a blessing to others. And ultimately we see that fulfilled in Christ. Jesus said that your father, he told the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. Paul said in Galatians 3, 13 through 14, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. We see good news here, don't we? Paul wanted the church, the early church, to understand the foundational gospel doctrine of justification by faith and he pointed to abraham as an example church get this uh, in, in romans chapter four as, as paul is unpacking what the gospel means and how we can become recipients of the gospel and have forgiveness of sins and have righteousness and, and, and transfer from being an enemy of god to being a friend of god through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, through faith. He says, what shall we say was gained by our Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about it, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Every Christian needs to have this gospel foundational truth treasured within their hearts. That we are declared like Abraham, we are declared righteous by faith. I remember when this sunk in for me, okay? As a, as a younger Christian, I was struggling with some issues of sanctification, and I felt ashamed, and I felt discouraged, and I felt like, like I wasn't in God's favor a particular week, feeling defeated. And I remember being on the floor in my apartment, on the floor, just grieving, just feeling like a worm. Like, oh, I'm just so terrible. I just deserve to go to hell. I do. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve forgiveness. But God brought me to the powerful truth of Psalm 32. And, and, and Paul points to Psalm 32. David, who celebrated being counted righteous through faith. The forgiveness of sins through, through faith. And, 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 I, and I went to Psalm 32 and just saw, you know, and then saw in Romans 4 here, where God declares us righteous, Abraham righteous when he believed, and he declares me righteous 
He, he counts righteousness to my account simply by faith. Before I get everything, before I get my whole act together. All right? This is powerful. This is foundational. And be aware of anybody who minimizes this foundational gospel truth. Okay? Be aware of it. Because we need, justification is foundational for sanctification. And, and if you're a Christian trying to uh, work out your sanctification, by trying to justify yourself through working out your sanctification, you've got, you got it backwards. So be aware of those who minimize and downplay and attack this foundational doctrine of justification by faith. Paul wanted the church to get this. And Abraham's life points to it. But on the flip side... James also wanted the church to know about the nature of genuine faith that has action, obedience, works following it. Okay, and this is what James says, and he points to Abraham. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Alright? Now, I don't think that James and Paul are contradicting each other here. Well, it may, it may be an apparent contradiction. But they're highlighting two different aspects of faith. All right, and, and, and God and, and being right with God through faith, but then faith that, that genuinely through which we are made right with God has action behind it. Genuine faith has action behind it because even the demons believe in God and tremble. There's plenty of people who go to church and profess to know God, but their lives deny them knowing God. All right, and that's a scary place to be to be deceived, thinking I'm good with God. Because I've said the prayer and I go to church and I'm good with God. But there's no fruit. There's no fruit of genuine salvation. And these words from James should, should strike reverence in the heart of the one who's just kind of trying to use Christianity as some fire insurance. But not walking in an abiding, real, genuine relationship with the living God. And so James wanted the, graph, the church to grasp the true nature of genuine faith. Through Abraham's life. He goes on, James 2.23, And the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. How would you like to have that designation over your life? There's an old uh, song, a praise song I used to sing all the time in league years ago. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Come on, Kevin, we got to do that. <laughs> that you are mindful of me. That you hear me when I call. Is it true that you are thinking of me? How you love me? It's amazing. And then everyone starts jumping. <laughs> you get your workout in at church. Obviously, I came from a charismatic church. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of it. I believe in the Holy Spirit, too. He moves people to joyfully worship God. 
Abraham was also not only an example of faith, but an example of patience. Now this speaks to us in our culture because we are so impatient. Our fast food microwave culture. You go through the drive-thru, and if they take five, ten minutes, man, you are irritated. You're like, what is going on? Customer service, I'm writing a review on Google right now while I'm waiting. Chick-fil-A needs to come through. They have they are not delivering right now. Right? Um and, and so Abraham is an example for us of patience. He waited and he, he waited for God to do what he said he would do. And it seemed impossible. It seemed absurd. All those that Abraham was leading, I could just imagine them thinking, Abraham's a little crazy. You know, he's, he has this relationship with God. God tells him to move. and Okay, we're going with him. All right. And then God says, hey, we're, you need to circumcise all the males in, in the group there. I don't know what's going on with Abraham, but God's telling him to do some crazy stuff. It doesn't make sense. But when that baby came, when Isaac came through Sarah, God fulfilled on his promise. God showed up. God did what he said he would do. And so Abraham waited. And, and, and Hebrews says this. He points to this and he says, he says, we desire that each of you show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. This is Abraham. You just keep reading. He's, he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having Patiently waited, obtain the promise. If we're going to see God's promises fulfilled in our lives, we must believe Him. And we must wait. We must wait patiently on God. We continue to believe. We trust Him. And we take God at His word. We pray His promises. We tuck His promises away in our hearts and our minds. And we remember His promises. We remember what He said when we're being tested, when it doesn't seem like we're ever going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We stand on His promises. We trust and obey Him, even when we don't understand, even when we don't see the big picture of what He's doing, and when we don't see God's hand, may we always trust His heart and trust His promises. I mean, gosh, it must have been painful to have this name, Abram, you know, Father, um, and, and then God says, you're going to be Father of many nations. Like, where's that in my life, God? I'm childless now. And I'm, like, about to be a hundred. My wife's not far behind me. It seems crazy. But I'm trusting you, God. And he trusted him. Now, he wasn't flawless. Abraham's life was not flawless. God told him to leave his family, his kindred, his, his hometown, his country. And he, he obeyed God, but he partially obeyed God when he took Lot with him, right? Come on, Lot. Right? And later on, there was some tension that happened there. And of course, Lot got in trouble. He moved closer to Sodom. He went, went, he went the way that looked good, luscious, and moved and, and pitched his tent. God bless you. Pitched his tent closer to Sodom and Gomorrah and ended up being there. And we see he loses his wife and he he's, was, was corrupted in some ways, by uh, defiled in some ways by the... Um, 
by the culture there. Um, Abraham lied about his wife Sarai about being his wife. He was he was cowardly. He acted cowardly, uh, and he allowed his wife to be taken by Pharaoh. So here here's the plan. So like in Genesis 14 or so, you know he's like they're traveling and and he it was technically a half a lie right because he was married to his half sister right. So like which is kind of weird. I know I, I get it right. And and so he's 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 like Sarah Sarah. You know, t- if anyone asks, just tell them you're my sister because you're beautiful and I don't want them to kill me, right? <laughs> I, and so that was the plan and she went with it. Sounds cowardly. It sounds untruthful, dishonest. He wasn't flawless. But even in spite of his flaws, in spite of his flaws, the promises of God were still fulfilled and brought about in his life. Because God's the big hero of the story of the Bible, not Abraham. Abraham's an example for us to follow. But God's the one, it's his faithfulness that shines through ultimately in the story. Abraham heeded Sarah's wife uh, to take her maidservant, Hagar, as a wife. They, They tried to help God out. She was like, you know, just thinking, well, maybe... Maybe God meant through, you know, uh, your maid or, or maid servant, right? How many of us try to help God out sometimes when we don't, when we're impatient and we're like, God, where are you at? We try to make something happen and it just causes trouble, causes trouble. Now, God was gracious and he blessed Hagar and, and Ishmael who was born uh, through them, through, through Hagar but we see that Abraham, through, through some of these circumstances, that his life was not flawless. Though faith characterized his life, and though the faithfulness of God shines through his story to you and me today. And so that's the takeaway that I really want you to, to get through the life of Abraham. Is that God's faithfulness shines through his life. God chose and he called Abraham. God revealed himself to Abraham. He revealed his plan to Abraham. He changed his name. He he fulfilled his promise. He protected and cared for Abraham, even when Abraham made some mistakes. And God will do that for us, who are his children, those of us who've entered into covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We are counted as righteous. We belong in his sheepfold. He's going to protect us. He's going to preserve us. And it's only right for us to trust and obey Him. It's right for us to worship Him. Like Abraham built an altar and he offered sacrifice to God. It's only right for us to wait on God. For Him to come through. And so let's close with a couple points of application here. Believe the promises of God that he's given you in Christ. Become familiar with them. Believe them. Lean upon them. Let them direct your prayers. Memorize them. And trust God with your life, with your hopes, with your dreams, with your fears. Know that it's, just not, it's not just about you being the, the captain of the ship. Let Jesus take the wheel. So as the song says, let him guide and provide and and trust him with your life. 
Instead of thinking, you got this. I mean, sometimes we, we treat God like a, uh, like a spare tire. And we, then whenever we get a flat, then we talk to Him in prayer. And we call out, God, hey, I need your help. Right? But He didn't want to just be like a spare tire in our lives. One that we just go to when we're in trouble. Right? He wants to be the foundation of our lives. He wants us to know Him, to walk with Him, to be His friend. To trust Him through the darkest valleys. With our hopes, with our dreams, with our pain. Avoid trying to help God out and doing something that He hasn't called you to do. Don't live in your flesh. Depend upon your flesh. Some of us are really gifted. Some of us are really bright and sharp and and we feel like we can make some stuff happen with our abilities. But let us learn from the lesson of Hagar and Ishmael, from Abraham and Sarai, and what they did. And lastly, view your blessings from God as a means to be a blessing to others and bring glory to God. Don't, don't, don't be short-sighted in, in God's vision to bless your life and for you to be a blessing to others. It's, it's then... When we live like that as a conduit, a recipient and a conduit of the blessing of God, it's then that we're fully alive, that our joy is full, that we're living in, as uh, Eric Liddell said, the, the runner, he, the missionary, he said, I, God made me fast. God made me fast, and I feel God's pleasure when I run. What has God called you to? How has God called you to be a blessing to those around you in such a way that you find great pleasure in doing His will to be a blessing to others? Our gifts and the blessings that we have from God are not something that we should boast about and just say, hey, look at me, I'm awesome, look at what I have, or look what I can do, or look what I know. We should use those abilities and those gifts serve others. Amen? And so I think it's appropriate for us to respond in singing and worship, talking to God, pouring our hearts out to Him as we do every Sunday. We provide some space to respond to the revelation of God that we've heard in Scripture, that we've read in Scripture. And so let's do that. Let's sing to Him. Let's pour out our hearts to Him. What is it that you need to talk to Him about? What is it that you need to trust God with in your life right now? What messes and mistakes have you made that you need His help to clean up, to forgive, to cleanse, take refuge in the blood of Jesus, the cross, the finished work on the cross for you? What area of freedom do you need? As you walk close with God in intimate relationship with Him, you can expect the chains of addiction to fall off of your life because knowing God has a transformational effect upon the lives of those who really know Him, those who are not just playing church, doing religion, 